My wife recognized it and was just like, hey, I'm going to time out. This isn't about, again, I don't remember what it was. Let's just say it was going to the movies. It wasn't about going to the movies. It was about something's wrong here. And I was lucky that I hadn't done so much damage to my home life. Hey, Sahil, happy new year. Good to see you. Happy new year. Really glad to be here. Likewise. Awesome, mate. Hey, so Sahil, let's kick right into it. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Has your experience shaped your approach to the CEO role? I'm currently the CEO of Spiralize. We're a conversion rate optimization A-B testing company. We work with B2B SaaS companies. I've been doing it for two years. Before that, I ran a healthcare tech SaaS business for 11 years. I was the founder and CEO there and rode all the peaks and all the valleys and thankfully had a kind of a good outcome in the end. We ended up getting acquired by a large vertical software business. Stuck around for a year and then was ready to do my next thing. And I was actually an early customer of Spiralize way back in 2016. So I knew the business, I knew the product, I knew the team, really believed in it. Had firsthand experience with the value it delivered. And I knew the founder really well. It's, it's based in Atlanta. That's where I am. And I was definitely keenly interested in finding another Atlanta-based company as, as, as I was looking for CEO roles. And the founder at Spiralize, who's an Aussie, guy named Gajan Retnasaba, lives here in Atlanta. We knew each other because our older daughters went to school together. And he was looking to bring on a partner. He had done an incredible job building Spiralize. And he's looking for a partner to help take him to the next level. He's still involved in the business very much. We had complementary skill sets. Some of the things that I'm good at, and just the things that he's really good at, and together we make a really good team. And so my first question is going to be really simple. So you, you 10 years, you, you ran your own company, peaks, troughs, successful outcome, and then you were crazy enough to go and do it again? I um, think a couple I, of things. Yeah, like why? <laughs> why is yeah, that why? This is my question. Why? Let's be real. Once you've been a CEO, you will be a terrible employee. I was unemployable. Oh, sorry. And yes. that's the first thing. My dad was like, why are you doing this? I mean, you know, my dad is an immigrant. And to him, and he worked at one company that he, the day after, the Monday after he graduated, he went to a small engineering school in upstate New York called Rensselaer Polytechnic, great engineering school. And the Monday after he graduated, he went to work for GE, which was already a good-sized business. And that was Monday in spring of 1996, oh, sorry, 1966. And he stayed there until 2006, which is amazing. Even and he's amazing. back then, it is amazing. And he just thought I was crazy. He's like, oh, why don't you go work for working corporate finance? I've I, business background. I've done finance. Why don't you go work in corporate finance for Home Depot or IBM? To me, that just sounds, by the way, there's all nice people that work there, I'm sure. But once you've done the, you've run your own business, whether you've run it well or not, I just think you're unemployable. After 10 years, I was like, hey, that's, yeah. you, you've earned 10 years of being a bum. That's, that's yes. why I've got the beard and I'm living the bum life. But, yeah. That's the first thing. I think the second thing, I still had the fire in my belly. I'm 45 right now. 42 when I finished up at ER Express. And I thought that first I had the fire in the belly and I think I had the kind of the energy level to do it. Probably one, maybe two at the most. 
And I think if I went out, sat on the bench for a while, or became a consultant, I just, I don't think I would go back yeah. to the grind. Which I think is a difficult job, right? Being a CEO of a company is difficult. It's all encompassing. It takes you away from your family. It, it's, you go to sleep at night thinking about problems, issues, dramas, things like that. You, you dream about how you're going to fix those problems. You wake up and you go start fixing them and they get you with a whole nother raft of problems. It is not an easy job to do for a 10, 11 year span. And so that's probably where my question stem from. I did it. I did it for 10 years. It was, it was definitely something I enjoyed. I loved it. It was the best job I ever did, but it was hard. You don't get a lot of times as CEO where it's all roses and flowers. It's mostly just muck and shit. You live in the valley most of the time. There's exceptions, of course. Uh, at least I've heard rumors that there are exceptions. I think that, but yeah, I had, the, I had the fire in the belly. I think the other thing is that, sure, the job is hard. I think the job is emotionally taxing more than the difficult, the day-to-day -day work. A lot of what you do is you touch like 20 different things just ever so slightly to keep them moving. All the jobs are hard as a sales job by itself hard. Not any harder than if you're a sales leader. It's emotionally draining. Yeah, I, I agree. Look, I think more than I was anything lucky. else. <laughs> yeah, I, I was lucky, mate. I had more ups than downs. I worked with a really good executive team that made my life super easy. Like I said, you barely touch stuff. I had the Rickies of the world running stuff. I had Cars the world, Drummond's the world, A Rods, Laura's. I, I was very lucky. I didn't have to do very much. My job was actually pretty <laughs> easy. Emotionally taxing, yeah, because part of your job is to make sure that you're you making sure you're growing your customers and they're getting what they want. You're growing your people and they're getting what they want. So yeah, emotionally taxing. But I did get lucky in that I was surrounded by amazing people who made my job super easy. I got to hope for 10 years. It's good. <laughs> and with that, I think one of the reasons you put it really nicely, Sean, one of the reasons it's so taxing is when you're the CEO, there's not a lot of, you don't get a lot of social kudos. No one's giving you a performance review and saying, here's three things you did well last quarter. And here's a couple of things I want you to work on. So if you have a board or you have investors, best case, they say, good job. We want more. You get to keep your job. They say good so job. Maybe. I said best case. I said best case. Not to your face. We were lucky. We got good jobs. But I think I learned a lot and matured a lot. And I wanted to take what I had learned and do it again. I think everyone, that first time you're a CEO, you just, it's just all rookie mistakes. Oh, mate, oh, look, I know that if I chose to go back and do it, I'd be significantly better now. Just having a break for a bit and then doing the things Ricky and I have been doing, you realize there's a lot of stuff we talked about doing, in particular Ricky and I talked about doing that we never actually got to execute because... And the size of the company we were at the time with investors in and the different competing pressures, it becomes really difficult to actually go and drive some of those innovations out and do things that we really should have done because we would have been twice the size company, but you just, you get stuck in that rogue wheel of doing it. If I was to go back and do it again, I would be significantly better, be able to go significantly faster, would be able to make way better decisions. I wouldn't do it again, mainly because there was a huge impact to my family when I did that job for 10 years. I missed out on a lot of things personally, and I don't want to miss out on them anymore. That was my decision as to why I never went back. But I definitely agree with you that doing it once, and especially if you step back a little bit, it does, 
make you realize some of the mistakes you make. Even simple things like no longer driving. You, you, you effectively end up managing the business instead of driving the business. Long term, if you've been there for a long time, and that's where I got to the point where I was, I was managing a business, no longer driving a business. And yeah, that was a good reason for me to no longer be there anymore as CEO. Because once you start into doing that, then you just keep doing the same things over and over again. Yeah, I agree with you. And to build on that, Sean, when you've done it once and you, you have this list of things like next time I'm going to do this differently and next time I'm going to do something differently, I think you now have this reservoir also of resiliency that you can draw on because when something goes right when it was supposed to go left, you can say, you know what? I've seen this before. This happens. This is part of, this is part of the job. And I can leave it at the desk. I can be more present with my family. Now you said something interesting. It's, there's an enormous toll on the family. I think that's something I think would be good for us to dive deeper into today. One, first of all, that's totally true for me. One very just thing that has worked out. I would never have planned it this way. We ended up having, I have two daughters and they were born eight years apart. Not the way we planned it, but the way we worked out. Yeah. And so I got a second chance because I missed a lot with my first daughter. I was gone a lot. Back in the days when people still traveled a lot. Yeah. And the second time around, I've been able to just be. And then also when I was home, I was not present the way that I wish I had been. And so the second time around, I've gotten a second chance to be more present and to be more. And also just travel less. Post-pandemic, you don't have to hop on. People don't expect you to hop on a plane to do business together. Yeah, exactly. You both have made some really good points and I just want to dive a bit deeper into some of those. Whilst we started talking about the hard stuff, the dark stuff, the reality is because of social media, everything is glorified and glamorized, right? So most people on the floor would still identify as CEOs as the top of the peak, the most lucky people, the ones who take away the most amount of money, big paychecks, big houses and everything. Therefore, the compromises, all, all, all of that stuff you guys are talking about. A lot of people listening in will be going, tough shit because you guys are, you know, ultimately taking the biggest check home. You've got equity and everything else. You talked a lot about compromises. You talked about not being present. So what's the price of that? Sahil? Can you touch on some of the things that most people don't naturally think about? Yeah. First, let me agree that I think the average person hears a CEO saying it's a tough job and they go, tough shit. And I think they're totally right. Yeah. Tough shit. You wanted the job. It comes with the territories. You want to be a CEO. You got to take the, the shit with the sugar. <laughs> That's life. And I think well, real world, we have it pretty easy and we have it pretty good. There's a lot of jobs and a lot of scenarios that are way, way harder. So I think that's just always like a good reality check because just remind yourself, like, what does real, if you, anyway, we'll have to go into that, but I think that's a good reality check. Um, you asked, here's what the question I think you asked is, what's the reward for, for doing all that? It, it, did I hear the right question, Ricky? Yeah. I'll tell you what I thought was the reward and what I found out was the reward. And, and now what I really believe in my heart is the reward. I certainly, the first time around, thought the reward was the exit the big pile of cash at the end of the, the journey. Not so much because of the money at that point in my career. I'd made enough that I good living, could provide for my family, all of those things. But it was the reward. It was keeping score. 
I think if you're the kind of person that takes the CEO job, you've been on a trajectory that's very achievement oriented. And the reward at the end is it's another achievement that you got good grades, went to good school, got a job, competitive job, played sports, all, all those things. Not all CEOs do all of those things, but I think those are common threads, three out of those five things. And I, somewhere along the way, it, it, I, I learned that the intrinsic reward is much more sustainable than the extrinsic reward. If the extrinsic reward happens, of course, it's wonderful. And I hope for everyone that takes this journey, whatever their extrinsic reward is, they find it. It could be, by the way, I think there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I hope we make a lot of money. I hope we make money for our investors. I hope we make money for ourselves. I think there's nothing wrong with that. If you're in the for-profit sector, that's yeah. part of the equation. Yeah. But what I learned was so much of the extrinsic reward is out of your control. It's a function of the market. It's a function of your competitors. It's a function of the economy. Now, you still have to execute. Really hard. But you, you can't control all those other things. You can't control the valuation multiple, right? Now, if you, if you execute really well, yeah, maybe you can get that 4x multiple instead of the 3x multiple if you're an outlier performer. But you can't conjure up a multiple that the market won't reward. And that's mm -hmm. an extrinsic reward. But I think the intrinsic reward and the, what you learn from it the value you create for your customers, the professional development opportunities you create for your team members, those things are largely, certainly your influence and many of them under control. And I think you can take a lot of pride in working toward those every day. And if you get to a place where the extrinsic reward isn't coming in terms of the monetary, yeah, then you have to make a rational decision. You keep going, is it time to hand it off? Maybe just you've taken the, the ship as far as it can go. Maybe the ship needs to go back to shore and it's time to do something else. Those are all possible outcomes. I think you raise a really good point. It's you know, really, in my opinion anyway, good CEOs are looking at those things. They're, they're the people that, are, that love the interaction with other people. That the, the thing that they're excited about is watching their people grow, their staff grow and have success. And, and the things I think back on that I'm like, oh, I did that poorly. It's not tactical decisions or a deal I did with someone. It's, oh, we could have done better by this person. Or God, I can't remember when we exited this person. We could, I could have done that better. I could have celebrated. Look, I look back at things that I did poorly on a people sense. And I think that's the bit that brought me joy when I was CEO. If I think, if anything was to drag me back to being CEO again, it would be that part. That part of the journey I love. I still reach out to a lot of people that I worked really closely with my executive team randomly every now and then on LinkedIn to see, hey, how are you? How are you doing? That part of the journey to me was the most important part. And the extrinsic stuff, the money and the rewards. Like I owned a law firm before I even took that job. I, the money was never a part of what drove me on. But Ricky raises a really good point in that for all the value parts we're talking about, it is still the best job in the whole organization. Fitness area is amazing. You get to encourage people and cheerlead people and and yeah, you get given the reward for all the hard work that a thousand people below you actually do because we're not the people actually doing the work, right? We have to make tough decisions and we have to deal with boards and we have to provide the guidance and the, the drive and the leadership, but the person actually coding isn't me. The person actually selling isn't me. Actually doing the marketing, actually doing our customer success. I'm not doing any of those things 
And so for me, the joy was always watching all these people and how they grow and where their careers go and how successful and the ideas they came with. That that bit always fueled my love of the job. And you both make really good points, right? Like I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you both are saying. Sahil, second time CEO, Sean, you had a massive 10-year run. A lot of people listening in and tuning into this episode, mostly first-time founders slash CEO or execs or leaders or individual contributors aspiring to be you. So can you go back to your first gig as a CEO, your first year? Sahil, you mentioned that you compromised and you missed out on your first daughter's upbringing. In that moment, what's going through your head? Because you're trying to make a name for yourself. You're trying to do all the things. I'm not being in your shoes, but you're so absorbed by everything that's happening around you. And all you want to do is obviously have a better future for the family, but yourself, that you give away a lot. So what does that look like? And how can you maintain that balance if you were to do it again, which you are now. So a lot of questions thrown in, but hopefully I'm not. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what it was like is being obsessed with your business. It's like the worst kind of hobby. That's like I would compare it to, yeah. you know, you might have music or playing sports or watching sports or something. But let's say you play sports, you watch the game and there's a beginning, middle, and then the game's over. Or you maybe you play some guitar in your spare time. You pick up the instrument, you learn a song, you play it, you put it down. When you're a CEO and a founder of a small business, there's really no off switch. That put it. You never put it down. It's, it's all consuming. And because a lot of it happens between this ear and this ear, even when you're not at your desk, it's still happening. Now, there are coping skills that you learn. And I think if you make it to the CEO desk, you learn how to compartmentalize your life into little bits and pieces. But I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's a good, it's a good outcome because at some point it becomes, or at least for me, it became all toil and no joy. I wasn't doing it because I was deriving joy from it. I was doing it because it just, I didn't think there was an alternative. And there eventually became a point where, and, and this is what I would say to our people joining us who are listening in, particularly first-time founders, when you reach the point that there's no joy, when you reach the point where you, just, you don't want to do anything else, I think that's a good reality check. Something's wrong. And for me, it happened in pieces. I, I was a competitive soccer player, college, after college. And I came up with excuses why I stopped playing, but that was really the reason. I'm an amateur musician, very amateur, but I love to play. And I eventually put down the instrument. And I just, I thought that if I just, to me, every minute I was spending not working, was eating at my chance of success. And I measured it in terms of opportunity cost. And when you do that, first, I think there's a healthy way to do it, but there's an unhealthy way to do it. I was definitely on the unhealthy way because everything, spending time with the family, having hobbies, all of those things that make life worth living, to me, I just saw them as intrusions on work I could be doing. And you did it again. Crazy. <laughs> 
Yeah. We yeah, should yeah. talk about, we should talk about, where was the difference? We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I guess so I, had a very, I had a very different, like I, I, mental health has always been something I've been a, a champion of. It's always been important to me. I always had a reason. We traveled a shitload. So I definitely missed out on stuff and there was, and there was definitely sacrifice and other stuff, but I was always, I'm not saying the job's not all it comes in, but I made sure I had some relative balance in my life in terms of things that I did that were not work-related, watch West Coast Eagles games, go to footy, spend time with my kids, do some stuff. I'm not going to say I didn't miss and sacrifice because everyone does. I loved probably every minute of my job up until the very last day I did it. I, I didn't have that period, but when I thought about going back and doing it again, I made the conscious decision like, could I do it again? Yes. Do I have the energy? Yes. Am I going to? No. And why? Because my kids are 10 and under. I've got a really good opportunity to spend good quality time with them as they do the rest of their growing up. And as much as I loved what I did, I really wanted to be around for that. So I didn't get that component you had where, because it's very easy to cross into that territory where, you know, that is the only thing you're doing, right? Being the CEO, working, driving. I'd love to hear how you've shifted that to in your second journey. And the thing that I was able to preserve during that time was to make sure that I wasn't totally absent as a husband and as a father. I think I was, I don't think my family was getting the best version of me by far. Yeah. And I'm fortunate because I happen to be married to a clinical psychologist. That's, that would help. And at a certain point in one of the many valleys, my wife, her name is Katie, just said, hey, I, honestly, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I know exactly where I was standing, like in our kitchen. I know where she was standing. And she had said something. It might have been going to see a movie or hanging out with some friends. And I just didn't even have the energy to say no. It's just like, whatever. Like this, the zest for anything had just flown out the window. I don't know when exactly it had happened, but it had definitely happened. And my wife recognized it and was just like, hey, kind of time out. This isn't about, again, I don't remember what it was. Let's just say it was going to the movies. It wasn't about going to the movies. It was about something's wrong here. And I was lucky that we, I hadn't done so much damage to my home life and my relationship with my wife, that she wasn't checked out and I wasn't totally checked out. And then the second thing I got lucky is that she knew what to do. And she's like, you need some help. You need professional grade help. You can do it by yourself. I think we should also do it together, but you need to do it. So I just want to touch on that because obviously Sean mentioned a couple of things and you have done so as well. But I, I keep going back to the fact that you've now had the luxury of having gone through that journey. You're on your second and Sean was a professional CEO. To get to that professional CEO, you've had a lot of help along the way, right? Whether it's it's help you seeked out you've or help that's been given to you. But if I'm a founder, I am a founder slash CEO from the beginning. I have not really had that. I'm a 22-year-old or 25-year-old who's really just come up with this idea and a concept and I'm consumed by this. My life hasn't really taken shape, right? It's what we then come to know later. I don't have kids. I don't really have a mortgage. I can just my bag. And so what tools do you have now that you would have deployed to the younger self to ensure that you were combating what was to come for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And great perspective there on 
what is the mindset if you're a 20 something first time founder CEO versus for me, I was a little bit further along in terms of the stage of my life. I was probably about the anecdote I was just sharing. I was probably about 35, 36 at the time. I think the first tool is getting professional grade help in the form of a licensed therapist. I think the second tool is joining a peer group of some kind. There are a ton of CEO or president groups. There's everything from super formal things like YPO to less formal ones that might be just people that live in your town and they get together for coffee. Because there's a feeling that I think every CEO goes through, which is I'm alone. Everyone else is doing it better than I am. And I've got to figure this out on my own. And the reality is, if you talk to even one CEO, you're going to realize that's a total delusion. And we're all smiling and laughing because I think Sean has been there. Yeah, been there. All right. I wrote a post on LinkedIn not that long ago being like, hey, you're going to have independent directors on your board, but they're really not that independent because they're no. employed by the private equity company that you have done a deal with or whoever it is. You should, as a CEO, go find another CEO. That's effectively your mentor or someone else you can bounce it off. And there's something I didn't do that I wish I did because, like you said, just having some other people you can talk to about things, you'll find that they're going through similar stuff or they've gone through it before and they can talk to you about it. It might not one-to-one apply to your business, but knowing other people have dealt with something takes a huge amount of that weight off your shoulders, right? It's not an unconquerable problem. It's something other people have dealt with before, and so you can do it too. And off you go. I think that's hugely important advice. I had an early job experience when I was in high school. I worked at a movie theater. Wonderful job. I love movies. It was a kind of small-ish. This is really before the days of the big multiplex. It was five screens, which in our town, Montgomery, Ohio, was a big five. I still remember when we went from, we had a two-screen place. It was called The Twin. And when we got the five, it was five screens. What are they going to show on five screens? And it was just this unique place where kind of the staff and the managers who weren't much older than us had just wonderful chemistry. And every day I loved going to work because I just felt like I was getting paid to go hang out with my friends. It was like any minimum wage job. What do you do? Serve popcorn, soda, make change, take tickets. The people I was with was, it was just, I felt like we were just hanging out, got to talk movies and just do this cool thing. We hung out outside of work too. And I think I would tell everyone, if you can find a job, like that's a great place to work. When you're a CEO, you don't really get that because you don't have any peers and you can't really be friends with anyone that works there because in the, the day you sign everyone's paycheck. You can be friendly, socialized. You can have genuine friendships with the people that work for you. But at the end of the day, they work for you. And even your C-suite, they work for you. So there are boundaries there and there are limits. And I think the way that applies to being a CEO is you need to have some CEO friends. Like you got to have people that you can, and by the way, I recommend it being someone other than like your spouse. You just, you need people that you can have a beer and vent and just be like, say anything and know that it's off the record and you got to get it off your chest. You carry it around. It's going to eat you up. Really good tips there, right? Sean mentioned something about independent directors and then some of the things, again, you mentioned, Sahil. So coming back to today, 
And with all the learnings behind you, how do you structure your week, your month, your quarter, your year? Like, what is the cadence? It's the right time to talk about this. It's the first week, basically, in this part of the world where people are thinking about going back to work or like us, the semi going back to work. What? How do you get into that mindset of this is what I want to achieve from 2024 and then work backwards? Yeah. I'm a big believer in keeping everything very simple. Number one, my rule is any kind of plan has got to fit on one piece of paper. Now, sure, you should do analysis behind it. <laughs> That's not going to fit on one piece of paper. Okay, you got, you got to run the numbers. You got to have a financial plan. You got to have a budget. You got to have a, know your sales waterfall and know if I, if I need to close this many deals, I got to have this many opportunities. Sure, you got to have all that shit. <laughs> but think you got to keep it really simple. We have spiralized three goals for the year in terms of customer retention. And it's a, there's a number of new clients. There's a number. And then a revenue goal. And that's a number. There's lots of nuance under it, but we've boiled it down to those three things. And then my executive team, there's three of us. We each have three goals and we're very cautious about adding more. Let me, let me look at, we have three goals for the quarter. And do they feed into your three total company goals? Yep. Yeah. And we've spent a lot of time discussing, are these the right ones? What are the precious few things that we're going to work on? And we have it on a one single sheet of paper. And every Monday we meet. There's always like lots of stuff to talk about, but we try to make sure part of our time is how are we working on those top three things for this quarter? Yeah, like it. Yeah. I think simplicity is the answer. Agreed. Agreed. I think so many people try and make businesses complex, especially when you talk about software businesses. I think we were talking about this yesterday. There's, there's no logistics. There's no freight. There's a lot of that stuff that doesn't exist. So basically, it becomes about revenue and therefore, to your point, keeping it simple, keeping it on a, on a single sheet and then having the workings behind it is probably the way to go. One last question from me before we move into quick fire round, unless Sean also then pipes in and has another. But with everything we've spoken about, when you do decide to then hang up your CEO hat or when you do decide to hang up your boots, cleats or whatever people call it, what does Sahil Patel want to be known? Great question. And this is the best. Here's what I'll draw on. Two weeks from now, we're having a reunion of everyone from my first company who lives in Atlanta, which is most of everyone. But again, this, this was a company that started way pre-pandemic when just the norm was not hiring people all around the world. You mostly hired in the city that you were in and you had an office. And I've been in the peaks and valleys with all of those people. I've got along with some of them more, got along with some of them less. There's a great quote. I didn't come up with this. That entrepreneurship is getting other people to build your dream. And it sounds great when it's true. By the way, I do think it's true. But the opposite is also true. That when people leave, it means they're giving up on your dream. And like any entrepreneur, I had people leave, particularly I had one of, one of the partners in the business left. And that was really difficult, right? Not difficult. It was, of course, difficult for him to leave. But the implication of it was really heavy because he was saying, I don't believe in the dream anymore. 
And all those people, we had those, but I think they're going to, I know I looked at the RSVP and virtually all of them are coming to this event. And I think that says something that they want to be there. By the way, I don't think it says something about me. I think it says something about them wanting to see each other. And I think if you're the CEO that can create that kind of workplace where when they know people are no longer being paid to be there, they want to be together. I think that's number one. I think number two, specific to being a CEO, you can ask me, would you want to work for me again? Now, to my face, they probably say yes. Not everyone would say yes behind my back, but I think the majority would say, yeah, I'd, I'd sign up to work with you again. And so that's pretty cool. There's no actual survey that would tell you that answer or not. And I'll never actually know, but I think that's what I strive for. Is that people say, hey, if I had to do it again, or if there was another opportunity to sign up on this train, knowing what I know now, knowing that there's going to be peaks and valleys, I would do it again. Pretty cool. Yeah. Given that you, you had to answer that question on the spot, so I love that response. <laughs> you forgot to add that they really are just coming for the free alcohol, man. That you're putting yes <laughs> that's the real reason but no that's a I, that's I, a big I, reason <laughs> probably is yeah, yeah. but you created it you created this massive army of supporters but also a community in itself where people want to come and talk to each other and everything else that goes behind the scenes that you said you're not fully aware of kudos to you for having done that so successfully yes there will never be a 360 feedback because like i think it's else, close to it's, so, it's I close. think those kinds of things, I think those kinds of things are the closest, I would say probably the closest thing you get to a 360 degree feedback as a leader, CEO, anything, CEO, CSO, whatever, C-suite, is to look out five years or more and say, all these people that I hired and mentored, where did they end up and what did they do? Finally, it speaks more about them than it speaks about me, but I think it's a nice feeling to look on and be like, hey, this person, I hired them in their 20s. And now look, they're pursuing their dream, whatever that dream is. It doesn't have to be being a CEO, but they're pursuing their dream. That's awesome. i love to take you through a quick fire round, Sahil. I promise these ones will be much more simpler questions than, than the ones you just had to answer. <laughs> I, um, hey, I, I like the heavy questions. I, like, yeah. I do want to add one thing to the, the heavy questions before, because I, I meant to ask you, you asked me, what are the tools I would share with? Yeah. 25-year-old founder who's in the thick of it. I think one more thing is get the help before you need it. Right? When you're in crisis, whether that's crisis with a capital C or crisis with a lowercase c, and I've been in both. There was a time I thought I was going to lose the business. We were running out of cash. You should get the help then, for sure. But you don't have a lot of options, and time is working against you. And you're really in fight or flight mode. So you have to react. And you're, what you're trying to do is just keep your head above water. But I think if you can get that help, peer groups, CEO groups, have some friends and get some talk to a licensed therapist regularly. And you can work on yourself before you're in crisis mode. You're going to be in a, such a stronger place. And I'd say it's the best analogy is athletes. Look at pro athletes. What do they do the, during the off season? They're not sitting around watching movies, right? They're working just as hard, if not harder. You got to think about working on you is just like that athlete off season. It's where all the growth and all the strength comes. You want to avoid that burnout at all costs. 
Sutherland coming back to quick fly around. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Off. Let's do the fun uh, part. Yeah. So the first one, answer to question. What, what, you keep that. You got to hit him with this. You only oh, hit no, one. It, it, it he's already said he likes. He already said he loves movies, so I can tell that's going to be a problem. So you just yeah, pick one. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Favorite sports team: football team, Cincinnati Bengals, and Arsenal. See, See I got you though, because two. they're too well. They're both football teams. <laughs> yeah, you got to pick one, we're, right? We're going to execute one of those squads. Which one are you keeping? The Bengals. Yeah, think of it is. See, you can always get to nice. one. You just got to threaten the other one. <laughs> yeah. That is brutal. You're going to execute just, one. Just call oh, it. Please, God help me if Michael Arteta hears that. So, yeah, there's a fan out there. Doesn't mind if the whole team dies. Yeah, yeah. If he's listening um, to his podcast, I'll take that as a big win. Right. What about favorite music genre? What's on your list? What's you? What are you winding down to? I've got to pick one. I'm going to say like prog rock, or what's going to go progressive rock. I play in a Rush yeah. cover band, which is like the nerdiest thing ever. Yes, but that's, that's what I like. <laughs> I don't know what you guys talking about, but I, I assume. Sure you Google it. Yeah, it's a. Just right. uh, think of the worst kind of excessive, like eleven-minute songs with three guitar solos and like keyboards <laughs> and seven instruments. Stuff. That's, that's you. Love yeah. It. What about this one? Then this may be. Probably the most complex question for you. Favorite movie of all time? Empire Strikes Back. Oh. Also mine. Good call. It has everything. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. What about favorite place to visit? Ooh. So this one you can have or a place that's oh. on your bucket list. I'm going to say Italy. I've been there six times. I'm going back this summer. <laughs> seventh oh. time. I've, nice. I've been working on my Italian for the last year. So it makes it a little bit more yeah, special. Place. Yeah. yeah, I think if you've gone there six times, going back seven, it's definitely it's got to be up there. Uh, that place. What about this one, Sahil? This is I know you've you know about a little bit about us. This is why we designed this whole podcast for. If you were given two jars, one happened to say crunchy, and the other one said smooth. They both were peanut butters. Which one are you gonna pick? Smooth. That's easy. The terrible answer. <laughs> and then you were so movies, and then so, yeah. today's hey, been a bad I, day. I when he said he was a Rush cover band, I was pretty confident he was going to say smooth too. No worries. <laughs> I knew he was going to be smooth all the way along. Maybe he wants to change his mind for a second. But he's stuck with it. It's all good. There's no judgments here. So, well, thank you once again for coming on and thanks for sharing all your tips and honestly just being transparent and candid about your journey. Likewise. I really enjoyed it. You guys do a wonderful job. This was a lot of fun. Oh, awesome. Thank you.